Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This is the fifth week of our series on David and he is finally crowned king. What kind of king will he be? Let's find out. Well, today I'd like to start with the definition and it's the definition of perseverance. So perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. So where have you had to have perseverance lately? Are you involved in something difficult that requires determination to get through, even though you really just want to give up? Or are you working towards something that has been delayed, but you're not giving up? You are still committed to seeing it through. Yes, where have you had to show perseverance? I'll give you an example of, of when I've seen perseverance before. So it was at a previous church, and I was leading a middle school mission week called Disciple Now. We had 120 middle schoolers sign up for the week, and so I divided them up into four different groups, and each group had one major project for the week. The group that I was supervising, their project was to paint the exteriors of these two buildings um, for a local nonprofit. Uh, we've got a picture of what that looked like, so you can start your, your imagination. But basically, this, this required a lot of perseverance on the best of days. Because one, you're supervising middle schoolers. And so you're telling them, yes, yes, please paint the building, not your neighbor. Building, not neighbor, over and over. I can't tell you how many times every day I said that. And this was in Florida, in the middle of summer. So I can't tell you how hot, how humid it was being outdoors all day for a week straight. And so we're, we're engaged in this project. It was already fairly ambitious to try to paint all of it by the time the week was done. But then it happened to be the stormiest week we had had that summer. We had downpours coming almost every day. And you can't paint when it's raining. On one particular downpour, about the middle of the week, I remember feeling a little bit nervous that maybe we weren't going to finish the project, that maybe it was just going to be me coming back the next week, <laughs> painting everything that I could. And I began to get a little bit stressed by that idea. And that's when I saw just an absolutely wonderful picture of perseverance. And I actually took a picture of it so I can show you. Here's what you're seeing here. These are two of our volunteer leaders who even though it is raining and even though everyone else has fled to be inside, they are still painting the soffits, the places where the water is not going to reach. Talk about perseverance. It's work like that that enabled us to get it done that week. So I didn't have to come back, which I was very grateful for. But we all need to sometimes dig deeper in what we're going through. Uh, here's a couple of examples. Maybe you're just in a rough patch mentally, and, and most days you feel like it's a battle to have a positive attitude. But you know what? You keep fighting. You keep battling. That's perseverance. 
Or maybe you're going through a rough patch right now with your spouse or a good friend, and it's hard to be around them, and yet you are committed to being kind and empathetic. Or maybe it's continuing to be patient with a child or grandchild when they're screaming at you, and you know it has nothing to do with you. All of these are examples of perseverance. Now, we are studying the story of David, and David today is going to be crowned king for the first time. You've probably noticed that theme in our hymns and our liturgy so far. David's going to become king, and David shows us just the perfect example of what perseverance in faith really looks like. So since the last time we met, since last week, King Saul has died. King Saul died in battle alongside his son, Jonathan, when they were at war with the Philistines. So we're told this is what happens next, picking up in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. So David has finally become king. This is week five of our series, and we've been talking about this since week one. Talk about perseverance. And imagine, if you were with us on week one, think back to and imagine that story. How old was David in that story? When he was out in the fields, and no one even thought to bring him in when the next king was being chosen. And yet, the, Sam, the prophet Samuel said, don't you have any other sons? And they brought in David, and David was about 10 years old at that time. And Samuel said, God wants you to be the next king. But David had to wait for 20 years, roughly 20 years from promise to fulfillment, from the time when God said, you're going to be king, to when he actually became king. How much trust did he have to have in God over that span of time? Well, today, when he's 30 years old, he's finally crowned king. And and now the story shifts a little bit. We pivot to ask, now that he is king, what kind of king is he going to be? How will he rule? How will he reign? Well, God sends a new prophet, the prophet Nathan, shortly after David's coronation. And Nathan shares with David the type of king that God expects him to be. Here's where our scripture goes next. God says, now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone 
and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. What is God trying to say through this passage? This message that God is giving to David now that he is king. What I see loud and clear through that is that God is the reason that David is king. That David's success is not his own, it is God's, and it is a gift from God. Yes, God has elevated David from being a shepherd of sheep to a shepherd of his people. And all of this occurred only because of God's graciousness and by God's initiative. So at no point should David stop and and look around and say, hey, look at me. I'm king, and I made it here because of my own wit, because of my own ability, because I persevered. That's why I'm king. No, God is making it clear that that would be rewriting of history, that David is king because God has made him king. Notice how many times God makes that point abundantly clear. God says, I took you from tending sheep. I have been with you wherever you have been, and I will make your name famous. This is all God's doing. Let's apply this to us for a second and to our lives. When we find success, it's very easy to bask in the glow of our own accomplishments, isn't it? And it's okay, I think, to be prideful when something goes well in your life, when you get a promotion, or, or when you have a particularly good investment, or when your granddaughter gets an A on the test, and, and you just feel pretty proud of that. I, I think that's okay. But God is also making it clear that all of life is a gift, and therefore all of our successes are also a gift from God. Yes, we are not solely responsible for the successes of our lives. We are to thank God for them. David did not make himself king. God allowed him to have the throne. So that means for us, when we are elevated into positions of power, and, and I want you to think in your own life, where do you have a sphere of influence? Whether that's your family or your work, maybe right here in the church, where do you have a little power and leadership? Well, we are told that if you find yourself in that position, that God has placed you there, and that we are to serve God in a godly way in those positions that we hold. So this is what God tells David now that he has finally ascended to the throne. And David hears God loud and clear. Because right after this, David goes to be by himself, and he goes to God in prayer. And, and here's what he says. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Is David is in utter disbelief. I mean, he's probably thinking that there's no way that a small boy who is in the fields watching over sheep 
that he could have possibly imagined what his life would turn out to be. Just a mere 20 years later, now he's king over the entire nation. He, he simply says, who am I, God, that you have brought me this far? You see, when God acts in your life, it can be so much more beautiful and surprising than you would ever have imagined. So I wonder, how can we adopt this same attitude? When we look at our lives, and particularly when we look at our past, how can we adopt the attitude that David has to say, God, who am I that you have brought me this far? To, to look at your life and, and marvel at the many ways that God has shown you love and grace throughout your days. Often, when we stop to examine our lives, what are the things that stand out? It's the flaws, right? It's our regrets. It's the things that we wish would have happened differently. But what if we adopted this attitude instead of saying, God, it is so incredible that you have brought me this far. You know, I think part of what made David successful in being able to do this is he didn't need to know all of the details of his future in, before he committed to following God. I, I mean, when David was just a boy and God told him, you're going to be the next king, he didn't say to God, okay, that's fine, but I need to know when that's going to happen and how long it's going to take and what kind of king I'll be. He didn't need to know any of that. He simply said, okay, I'm going to follow you. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tempted to negotiate with God when I feel God asking me to step out in faith. I'm tempted to say, okay, God, but give me the details first, and then I'll sign on the dotted line. Or maybe, if you're like me, you create a list of conditions. You, know, you say, okay, God, you want me to do this? Fine, here's my contract. Here's my list of conditions. I will follow you. I will do what you want me to do. But, you know, you need to keep me safe. You keep me safe, great. I will, or keep me healthy. You keep me healthy, God, then I'll follow you. Or I'll follow you if you provide for my family. God, that's reasonable, right? Just provide for my family. Or I'll follow you if you always make me happy. If I'm in the mood, then, then I'll follow you. What would you add to your list of conditions of following God? You know what David did? David just crumpled it up. David said, I don't need this. I don't have any conditions, God. I'm just going to follow you. And I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know what every day is going to hold. I don't know how long it's going to take before this is actually fulfilled. But God, that doesn't matter. Because I know that you are good. I know your character, and I'm committed to following you. What would it be like to adopt that attitude in our lives? I find it fascinating to look through David's story, because we find that it was 20 long years, again, from the time he was promised to be king to when that promise was actually fulfilled. And what we learn there is that oftentimes, when God asks you to take that step of faith, it's not always going to be a straight line into what you think the fulfillment is going to be. Life often zigzags. It doesn't go exactly where you think it's going to head. 
And I think that's where perseverance comes in. Because perseverance in your faith is learning how to trust God when life zigs, when you are expecting it to zag. And it's saying, God, I'm going to follow you anyway. I mean, there will be moments of your life where you have the option to say yes to God. And in that moment, until you look back on it, maybe even 20 years down the road, you will have no idea how significant that decision really was. It may not be until years later where, like David, you go to God and say, God, who am I that you have brought me this far? Now, I think there's a ton of examples of this in our lives that we can draw from, but one I wanted to use is is parenting, because parents often don't see the results of their hard work while they're in the midst of parenting. But when you allow God to work through you as you show your children grace, as you do the best you can to to teach them the faith, when you bring them up in a community of faith like this, you are creating a foundation that God can continue to build upon for the rest of their lives. That means parents and grandparents We can invest in the next generation of faith, knowing that even as we do so, we may never see the full results of our actions. And that's what makes David so special, is because David simply marvels at the fact that God has brought him thus far and commits to continue to trust in God, saying, God, you've you've got my past, I know you've got my future then as well. So now we arrive at the point where David has said, this is the kind of king I want to be, but now we need to read on and say, does he live into that? Does he live up to these standards that God is giving him in the type of king God's asking him to be? So I want to start with an example of what he does right after he's made king that I think is going to point you in the direction of what type of king he's going to try to be. So, in this time period, when a king died and someone else from outside the bloodline uh, ended up taking the throne, what generally happened? I mean, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones or House of Dragon, you know exactly what happens, where whoever is now the new king tries to hunt down anybody else in the family of the old king and eliminate them, right? Because they don't want anyone to be a competitor to them or their claim for the throne. So common sense says that, well, that's what David should do. Now that David is king, he should go hunt down anyone else who's related to Saul and eliminate them. But David hears from God, and David wants to be the type of king that follows God and not self-preservation. And so here's what David does instead. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Notice David did not say, is there anyone else in the house of Saul to whom I have to eliminate, who, who might be a threat to me being king? No, he looks for descendants of Saul to show them kindness 
And they find a servant, a servant named Ziba, who has information. And so they call Ziba forward. And we're told that Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now you might remember that Jonathan was David's dearest friend. He was the one who was willing to give up his place in line for the throne because he saw God working through David. But unfortunately, Jonathan died in the very same battle that claimed Saul's life. But Jonathan had a son. Now, several chapters earlier, if we were to read that story, we would find out that Jonathan's son was five years old when his father and when Saul died in battle. And when that happened, all the surrounding towns broke into chaos because they realized, oh, our king is dead, and the Philistine army that killed him is now going to come in here and take our towns as well. And so if you read about this story in Scripture, we're told that that the the boy's nurse grabs him as a five-year-old and flees, tries to run out of the town to safety. But in her fleeing, she trips. She falls and she crushes the boy's legs, leaving him crippled for the rest of his life. And so we're told that Saul's grandson, or Jonathan's son, is in a very vulnerable situation. Both physically, he can't walk, and also simply as his place as related to Saul, the former king. And so David calls him forward. And everyone's probably thinking, yeah, we know how this story ends. But here's what David does to him. Now, I got to tell you, his name is Mepithosheth, so say that five times fast. But you could know him just as Jonathan's son. It says, when Mepithosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mepithosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And once again, we need to say how bad a move strategically this is for David. Uh, People loyal to Saul could rally around Jonathan's son and try to take the throne. But David's not worried about that. David is making choices early in his reign to show how he is determined to be a different type of king a different type of ruler. He's going to be a leader that shows kindness instead of revenge. The kindness that allows Jonathan's son not only to survive, but to have a place at the king's table for the rest of his life. Let's once again apply this to us. In your position of power, leadership, or influence, how can you show kindness Where can you follow David's example and surprise someone with an act of generosity? Yes, we're not always going to know the results of the work that we participate in, much like David didn't. But in faith, choose to do the work anyway. Because I believe that God has brought 
you this far, and God is not going to let you down now. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.